Hey, it's Scott Petrick with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. The NFL is on center stage this week. It's the Super Bowl. It's Sunday in Arizona. The Browns will also share in the spotlight with Joe Thomas expected to be announced in the Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 2023. Here to discuss, as always, is Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. What's up, Chud? Scott, how are you? It's uh, good to talk after not talking last week. You know, it, with the NFL, with with the uh, extra game, you know, pushing the Super Bowl, it's kind of weird because now, like, the NBA has a lot of news going on this week, and, you know, the Super Bowl is later. It's, I'm so used to it being a week earlier, you know? No, that's a really good point. I was wondering that we're taping this Thursday morning. I was wondering that a little earlier um, because the NBA trade deadline, right, is coming up yeah. today. Or, um, so I was like, yeah. man, it's weird that – ESPN, I had ESPN on. They got a bunch of NBA conversation during Super Bowl week, and I'm glad you pointed that out because I'd kind of forgotten the reason the timing is messed up is because the Super Bowl's uh, a week later because of the 17th game now. Makes me wonder. I'm, I'm almost wondering if I like the 17th game, you know? I mean, I, I'm totally going off tracks here because, right. you know, it's just not something we would have planned on talking about, but I wonder if I like it better just with 16 games. I don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I, I, the fact that you're still playing football in the middle of February, I think there's some things to like about that, right? Because we kind of miss football when it's away. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, especially if you're our age or, you know, I'm a little older than you, but you get, you know, you're just so used to it, right? You're so used to the calendar of sporting events and what goes on and what do you do? You know, you just kind of naturally go through it. Um so it's interesting. I mean, I think the 17th game is probably doesn't do anybody any good, except it raises a ton of money. So therefore it's not going away and we're going to have to get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um, let's, uh, we'll get onto the Super Bowl here in a moment and relive the, our predictions and talk about the AFC and NFC championship games. Yeah. But, uh, first the big story, obviously, uh, we're going to find out tonight if it's official, but uh, Joe Thomas, uh, big moment for Browns fans, obviously a big moment for Thomas. Uh, I'm working uh, on a story that, you know, will only air if, you know, he gets in, and that will be on Friday morning on Go on Channel 3. Um, cheap plug. But, uh, you know, just uh, I read the article that uh, you wrote about him, just reading a couple different things and getting it, you know, listening to a few different perspectives, and, you know, it's – there, there's nobody that does not think he deserves to be a Hall of Famer, and most people feel it should happen tonight. Yeah, agreed. And I wrote a couple this week. I talked to Joe last week, and then I talked to Alex Mack and John Greco and Joe Batonio and Tony Pashos, who were former linemen with him, and then Phil Savage, the GM that drafted him in 2007. And, you know, I, I wrote the stories – assuming that he's going to get in. So um, from that perspective, I hope he does. I hope I'm not just kind of previewing something that doesn't happen. But the expectation is that he gets in. Even Joe, um, you know, he's not taking it for granted. But he said he felt confident when I asked him about it. Uh, you know, Phil Savage said he's a surefire, bona fide first ballot guy. So that's my expect expectation heading into tonight. I'll be surprised if he doesn't get in. And, you know, he'll eventually get in. I think that seems like a certainty to me. Um, but there's something special about being a first ballot guy. There's something 
is I think especially when you expect it, then it would be disappointing. So you know, I think it'd be disappointing for Joe. So I don't want to don't want him to have to go through that. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, he's a ten time Pro Bowler, right? In the ten seasons he was healthy, he was a Pro Bowler. He's a six time first team All Pro. Um, you know, and it all happened with the and we can't forget the snap streak, right? The ten thousand three hundred sixty three straight snaps to start his career, which everyone believes is an NFL record. You know, there's no, it's tough to figure out if they're missing somebody from 50 years ago, but the, the uh, belief is that that's an NFL record and unprecedented. Um, you know, you put all that in a pile and you remember watching him play and he was so good that it feels like he should be a first ballot hall of famer. And I expect him to get in. And I'll tell you what, working on these stories, Chud, um, that got me excited for, but maybe that is it, it got me excited for Joe in just listening to him talk, listening to the people talk about him. Um, it, it's a cool moment, it's a cool moment for him, it's a cool moment for his former teammates, for the organization. Um, I think for Brown's fans, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago when we talked. Um, you know, is it the best moment since the Browns have been back in 1999? And I, I think there's an argument to be made for that, and he's certainly. Since he got drafted in 2007, he's been a beacon in, you know, shining light in these really difficult times for the Browns, right? Loss after loss after loss. Um, and Joe was always, not only did he play at a Hall of Fame level, uh, he was a, he became a member of the community. Fans loved him. He's a great guy to deal with. He's still connected to the city and the team. So I just think there's so many good parts of this story. Yeah, to think that he would go 10-6 and six in his first season, right, and then never see a winning season again, and to experience 1-31, in 31, I, you know, I, it, it's amazing that he was able to keep his head up high, and, and he was always great with the media, right? Oh, he was fantastic with the media. Um, you know, and just last week I texted him, I'm like, hey, Joe, when, when you have a chance, you know, before, <laughs> before that Thursday night, tonight, the NFL honors, I'd love to talk to you for for a few minutes. You know, two hours later, I get a call from Joe. Um, and, and wow. that's not unusual since, you know, I've done stories on Joe Batonio. Hey, Joe, can I talk to you? He gets back to you. Like, he's just been that guy. And even back in the day when he was playing, right? So I covered his whole career. Um, he, he, I think it was him, he had a, put up a, a kind of a poster of all the beat writers, their mug shots, you know, their pictures with the name under it so people could learn our names, right? And I thought that was and a, not, not a nice thing to I thought it was a nice thing to do, but I thought it was important, right? That he thought it was important for everyone to say, hey, there's a name with a face. These people are going to be here every day. Um, let's get to know them a little bit. And then, I mean, Joe, I remember Joe would stand there, and this is earlier in his career because I got a story I want to tell about late in his career, but earlier in his career, um, like he would just stand there in his locker day after day, and one at a time, reporters would go up to him and talk to him. Right? Like he would do the gaggle, but then if you wanted to ask him something specific, or you wanted to ask him something on a Friday, and he'd already talked on a Wednesday, he would just stand there and would talk to everyone. Um, and, and that's just—it's unusual. I mean, you've been in their locker in locker rooms, Chud. That yeah. doesn't happen a lot, right? And this is happening with the best player on the team, right, and a future yeah. Hall of Famer. So. Um, you know, I'm sure that's part of the reason that I have a soft spot for Joe. Um, but yeah, I think it speaks, I think it speaks highly to his character. And when you talk about 
the losing, right? Yes. His only winning season was is a rookie, which, you know, is tragic at a level, right? That he comes in saying, hey, this is what it's going to be like. And then it's downhill from there and like almost straight downhill because it ends with, you know, 1-15 and 0-16. And and um, but during that time, and Phil Savage pointed this out, he said the, the snap streak is more impressive because of that, right? Most guys, you think, okay, their motivation is we have a chance to go to the playoffs. Maybe we can win a Super Bowl this year, which is why I'm working harder, which is why I'm out there every snap. Joe didn't have that. Like, early in seasons, they knew they weren't going to go to the playoffs, right? Even late in his career, before the season started, you knew they weren't going to go to the playoffs. Yet, he was determined to be out there every snap for his teammates. And that's really um, remarkable and, again, speaks to him as a person and his character. Yeah. And not to, this is not meant to belittle the Hall of Fame because obviously it's the highest individual achievement you can have, and it is a huge deal. But, and I hope this comes across the right way, the fact that we have to put this up there as possibly the best moment since the Browns returned in 99 just goes to show you how terrible things have been for this organization. Oh, there's no doubt. Right. And there is that contrast, right? Um, but I think this is a good time to, not that it's not part of the story, uh, but I think this is a good time to focus on the positive, right? Like, yes, he lifted himself above all the crap that was going on, right? All the controversy, all the whatever, the 20 quarterbacks he blocked for, the coaches, the ownership change, the GM changes, right? He was able to raise himself above that just because he was such a good player, right? Like, in order to stand out at a left tackle, I mean, left tackle is a prime position, right? But it's still on the offensive line. So you have to be special to stand out as a left tackle. And then to stand out as a left tackle on a team that doesn't win and never goes to the playoffs and doesn't play in prime time like the Browns didn't when Joe was here, um, like just keeps adding to the excellence, right? The, the reason why I expect him to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So, yes, that's part of the story. Um, but I think – I guess my point is I don't think that defines Joe, right? And I think the fact that he is, at least in my expectation, going to be the first ballot Hall of Famer, um, I, I think that means he transcended all the stuff that he had to go with, which – He'll tell you none of that was in his control, right? So he controlled what he could control, and that was being there every play, every play, um, for as long as he could, and performing at an incredibly high level. What's your story about him later in his career? Um, so, you know, I, the first story I wrote earlier in the week was just about the pain that he played to get to those, you know, the ten thousand three hundred sixty-three snaps, which he is so proud of, right? Like. That's the thing he's most proud of is that consecutive streak snap because it speaks to work ethic and dedication and perseverance, all that stuff. So I, so I said, Joe, tell me the worst pain you were in. He goes, well, he goes, I think it was the end of the 2012 season. He goes, I had back spasms for four straight weeks at the end of the season. And anybody who's had back issues, like it's debilitating. Like you can't get out of the, you can't get off the ground sometimes. Um, you know, I've tried to play golf with back spasms. It's it's impossible. And to play an NFL game every snap for four straight weeks with back spasms, to me, is unfathomable. And he did it. And he said 
His wife had to tie his shoes. Uh, he was on muscle relaxers to try to get the spasms to stop. So he was tired all the time, could barely stand, and then he'd start to feel better at the end of the week, and then he'd play a game, and it was back to, you know, back to the drawing board. So, um, so that was his number one story. But then I asked him, I said, Joe, I heard that, you know, you had a heart. He couldn't, like, at the end of his career, he couldn't barely practice. He had knee surgery the off seasons before his final couple of years. You know, he wasn't sure if he was going to play that last year. But he did, but his knee, or knees, um, but I think one was worse than the other, um, were so bad that he couldn't really practice, and he couldn't even stand to watch practice because the knee hurt him so much. But yet every, let's call it Thursday, he would come into the media, the locker room, and talk to the media for 10 or 15 minutes, and he would stand up. So I said, well, if you can't even stand to watch practice, how can you stand to talk to the media? And he said that he would have to get medicated before he talked to the media, he would take pain medication, talk to the media, and then he said the training room was right by the locker room, and he would get back into the training room and collapse like it, he had just gone through an excruciating workout, and all he had done was stand for 10 or 15 minutes. And the fact that he was in that much pain yet continued to play, um, I, I think is just, is just unbelievable. Man, that is wild. Just to just to talk. I mean, he, he could have skipped. I mean, why, why wouldn't he just skip some of those media sessions? You know, right. didn't want to lead on to that he was hurting or just his obligation. That's just the way he is. I think that's just the way it was. It, hey, I, the media wants to talk to me. The media want to talk to me. I talk to the media. Um, this is, yeah. you know, it's, it's in your contract. You're supposed to. I'm sure he could have arranged it so he was sitting at a podium instead of standing. Ooh. So maybe he didn't want it to be like, hey. Because he didn't, he never made it about himself, right? He never really, until after his career, really detailed yeah. how bad it was, right? Like he never called that much attention to himself. Um, so yeah, I think it was just, hey, this is what I have to do, and I'm going to have to figure out a way to do it. Yeah, that's rare. How about the way he looks now? Because you see a lot of former players, you know, they they look different going in a, a different direction. If you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly not the the uh, monstrosity he once was, or whatever the word you would call it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's probably, I don't know what he played at 310. You know, I think that's the, what they list him as in, like, pro football reference. Um, you know, I don't know what he is now, 230, 240. I mean, he looks fantastic. Um, and, and I think, again, that's just speaks to his discipline, speaks to his focus that he got done. He's like, okay, this is not good for me, especially with when you have the bad knees like that. Um I got to drop some weight. I know he works out like crazy still. I talked to Tony Pachos, and I could tell stories forever, Chuck, and there's a couple more I want to tell, but I was talking to Tony Pachos, and he said, you know, they're on this text chain. That's the one of the stories I wrote, the story I wrote for today, was all these linemen, they still connect on this, these group texts, not text chain, these group texts. And it's, you know, Mitchell Schwartz and Alex Mack and Tony Pachos and Eric Steinbach and, a, you know, a bunch of old, you know, former linemen. And Patch was like, hey, we talk about everything. He was, we talk about workouts. And he said, Joe has a workout he does, and it's a one-leg press. And he goes, he does it, and he tries to do 50 reps with one leg with a bunch of weight. And then you have to match it with the other leg. And, you know, they Joe said, he, Tony said, he asked Joe, he goes, do you have a name for this? And he's like, no. And then they're trying to figure it out, you know, do they name it Joe's Pain? Or, you know, they're trying to name it after Joe. But can you imagine being Joe's 38, gone through everything he's gone through physically, and he's still out there 
doing these kind of leg presses, um, you know, five years after he's been retired, um, I think it, that also speaks to kind of the physical freak he was, right? And I, when I talked to Phil Savage, he's like, hey, he wasn't a Jonathan Ogden, where, you know, who's 6'8 or whatever. Um, but Joe did have elite physical skills. Even though may, he might not have looked like he did, you know, he had elite physical skills. And, you know, he still does at 38 and five years retired. Wow. What other stories you got for us before yeah. we move on? Yeah, just real quick. I, so I'm asking all the guys, Alex Mack and Betonio and Greco, um, your favorite stories of Joe. And, you know, we talk all about Joe, his personality, and he's so likable. And, you know, they told all these stories about how funny he is to hang out with. And if you knew you are going to be spending time with Joe, you knew it was going to be fun. So there's that side of Joe. But he's also a crazy competitor, right? And he wants to win. And he wanted to be the best. So I said, so Alex, what's your favorite story? He goes, I love telling the story. He said he's a rookie. And the coaches are all over him about hand placement for blocking. So he complained to Joe. He goes, Joe, the coach, you know, keeps harping on me. And Joe says, well, did you ever think of just putting your hand where the coach tells you to put your hand? And just as simple as that, he boiled it down. And Alex is like, that just speaks to who Joe is, right? He's like, yeah, just make it simple. Do what they're telling you to do, and you'll be a better player, right? So I, in the way Alex said it, it's probably funnier than um, the way I'm telling it. But it just is matter. He goes, as matter of fact, just put your hand where the coach tells you to put it. So then um, I'm talking to Betonio, and he said it's 2014, and he's a rookie. And Joe's on his left side because Joe plays left guard. And Ryan Seymour is filling in because Alex Max out with a broken leg. So you got this young guy at center who hasn't played a lot. And Joe said they're playing, or Joel said they're playing um, Indianapolis. And they get to the line of scrimmage, and Seymour makes a call, and Joe Thomas makes a call, and they're opposite calls. And Joel goes, I don't know what to do. I'm panicking. He goes, we usually listen to the center. So I go, so he does what Seymour says, tells him to do. Because after the play, he goes, Joe is screaming at him, drops an F-bomb, don't ever not listen to me at the line of scrimmage ever again. And Joe goes, okay, I learned right there that I got this Hall of Famer next to me. I'm going to follow whatever he says, even though we're used to following the center. And then Joe said he gets done with the game, and his mom texts him and says, was Joe mad at you? Looked like he was upset with you during the game. And Joe's like, oh, you know, it's no big deal. And then John Greco, who played – mostly right guard in his time here, was with the Browns for six years with Joe Thomas. He's playing right guard. They're playing Minnesota – or Jacksonville. They're playing Jacksonville. But he's not at right guard. He's at center um, because they have, you know, Alex Mack's hurt. So Alex Mack, if you remember, Chud, they break the huddle, and Mack would sprint to the line of scrimmage. And yeah. Joe Thomas – right? And Joe Thomas liked that. He, th he said it's, the center needs to be there first. You got to set the ball. You got to look at the defense. Well, Greco's used to playing guard, so Greco's playing center, and he's kind of just walking up to the line. And he said, all of a sudden, Joe starts screaming at him. Like, you got to run to the line. And, and Greco's like, don't be screaming at me. So they're yelling at each other at the line of scrimmage before a play, and Greco says the Jacksonville D-linemen and linebackers are laughing out loud because Greco and Thomas are screaming at each other at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, I think it just speaks to – the intensity that Joe had, which 
you know, obviously you knew he had it, right? You don't play in the NFL. You don't become the Hall of Famer that he's going to become without that intensity. But, you know, when you see him on TV and you talk to him, he's just a normal kind of down-to-earth, even goofy guy. But he had this drive that when you're on the field came out and it came out even with, you know, in the form of him yelling at his teammates. Yeah. I guess we should have known when he skipped the NFL draft to go fishing in Wisconsin, he would be perfect for Cleveland. Right. I mean, that's true. And Phil Savage said the same thing. I mean, I, you know, I could go on and on, but Savage said, yeah, there, it was the perfect fit, the marriage of Joe with Cleveland. And you're exactly right, Shud. The fact that he went fishing rather than go to New York on draft day um, really set that tone for who Joe is and why we, he would fit in so well here. And I'll tell one last story. Um, you know, he could have asked for a trade, right? Like, I don't think he had a no-trade clause. I mean, he, he told me he didn't. So at the end of his career, he could have said, you know, I need you guys to trade me or I'd, I'd really like you to trade me. I mean, you know, geez, we see Kyrie Irving say he wants to get traded and he gets traded two days later, right? So we see it yeah. happen. We see it happen in the league, right? Aaron Rodgers could get traded this offseason. So, but Joe didn't want to get traded. He wanted to start and finish his career in Cleveland. And he's taking extra pride in the fact that he doesn't think there's going to be a whole lot of Hall of Famers after him that spent their entire career with one team, right? So that's something he's really proud of. But at the end of the career, he still wants to be here. But there's discussion, right? The Browns are in a rebuild. They're getting rid of assets. Do they trade him? And he said Peyton Manning called him because Peyton was with the Broncos then. And their left tackle had gotten hurt. So Joe told us at the sports awards, and I followed up with him. He said Peyton called him and said, hey, do what you got to do to get traded. He goes, even if you got to go take a dump on the GM's desk and go do it because we need you to come to Denver. And Joe, and I said, Joe, did Peyton really say that? He said, yes. He told me to do that. And I said, did you ever think about it? Did you ever think about trying to work your way out of town? And he said, no. He goes, I know it was Peyton Manning. He goes, but I wanted to spend my whole career in Cleveland. He goes, I always was optimistic that we we're going to figure it out. And I just think that, again, that speaks to who he is and why he is so beloved, rightfully so, in Cleveland. I'm glad, but I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you gave me the time there to tell that because I just I, – I really enjoyed the research that I did in the last couple of weeks. Not that I didn't know a lot of stuff about Joe, but just hearing these stories retold um, – I think it's interesting, and I think um, – I hope people read them, and then it gives people, you know, I guess further reason to be excited about um, Thursday night and the announcement of the Hall of Fame class. The fact that he wanted to stay here his whole career and doing all – and doing the research I did in the interviews the last couple of weeks um, just reaffirmed um, how special the connection with Cleveland is and why I think there should be a lot of excitement heading into the announcement, right, Thursday night – and then, assuming he gets into this class, the buildup until August, right? Like, I've never covered the Hall of Fame. I assume I'll do it if Joe's there, um, whether or not the Browns are playing down there, which I would expect they'd be playing in that Hall of Fame game. But just to be down there, um, Browns fans at the Hall of Fame, it's something I've never experienced, right? We see other fan bases come to Canton and celebrate their guys. And for it to be Joe, I, I think that's going to be – I think that's going to be cool – and when we talk about it being one of the bright spots, the few bright spots since 99, I think that will kind of be the culmination of it. Sure. All right, let's move on here. Um, a couple of things before we get to the Super Bowl. Miles Garrett, any concern there with the uh, toe injury? 
No, I mean, first of all, you know, the Fonzo played for seven months. So, you know, dislocated toe should be fine. But he tweeted out, all good. Um, you know, certainly a worry when you see him kind of limp off the um, off the obstacle course stage at the Pro Bowl event. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a big deal. He says it's not. X-rays are negative. Looks like he's fine. Okay. How about Joe Woods uh, landing yeah. a new gig? Yeah, I, I think that's good for Joe. You know, um, when we talked to those guys at the end of the season after he'd been fired after the finale, you know, the consensus was he's going to land on his feet. And he did. And, you know, becoming a, or staying as a coordinator is important, right? You don't want to take that step back to secondary coach. Not that it never happens. I mean, that happens with coaches all the time. But um, it's good for Woods that he gets to remain a coordinator. Now, in New Orleans, Dennis Allen, it's his defense. He's expected to call the plays. You know, Joe will probably focus a lot on the secondary. But to keep that title, to be an integral part of, you know, the game planning and the defense, um, it's good for Joe Woods. Anything else uh, Browns-related before we uh, move on to the Super Bowl? I don't think so. Uh, you know, a little bit of a dead period, um, combine coming yep. up. You know, I think March 1st is the first date of the combine. Um, so we might have a little bit of action before then. Uh, but, you know, nothing too big. I think that's it, Chuck. Yeah. How about LeBron James real quick? Oh. That was yeah. pretty phenomenal. It, it really was. And I know you guys did a bunch on Channel 3. Um, and I'm not a huge NBA guy, um, especially during, you know, regular season. I mean, I'll, I'll watch the Cavs, but I don't, you know, watch a whole bunch of Laker games. So I hadn't seen him play. I probably hadn't seen him play a whole game since whenever, you know, the playoffs he'd been in. Um, but obviously I tuned in Tuesday night and it was a lot of fun and it was cool. And it just brought back so many uh, LeBron memories. Yeah, it's amazing. Just the, the fact that a guy could live up to the expectations like he has. It's a, it truly is incredible, you know? Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the big takeaways. And we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. Um, lived up to all the expectations right from the time he was 16. Um, and has never had, has never gotten in trouble, right? So his whole life, most of his life, right, has been spent in the public eye. And, you know, he's carried himself, in my opinion, so well. And then played at a level where he's one of the, whatever, one, two, three best players in the history of basketball. It's, it's, it's really mind-boggling everything he's had to go through to get to this level and then score as many points when he did or as he has when, you know, he, he's not a guy that dominates the ball, so to speak, right? He's not afraid to pass. How many times when he was in Cleveland earlier in his career did, you talk, did we talk about, you know, him passing instead of taking a shot? Um, so it's not like he's been a guy that that's all he did, right? Was shoot, 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 shoot. Um, and yet he still was so efficient that he becomes the all-time leading scorer. It's um, it's a it's a huge testament to him. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's. Uh, we didn't talk last week. Uh, AFC NFC Championship games. You went two and zero. Congrats! You got Thank the you. Super Bowl dead on, man. Eagles Chiefs. Uh, I got the Chiefs in. Uh, I had the Niners, so I went one and one. You went two. I put you one game up on me overall in the playoffs. Um, they, you know the Eagles. It, it's tough. I mean. Y- 
it's really hard to dissect that game when yeah. when you you play a whole game without a quarterback basically that that was kind of disappointing to watch because you just it just turned out to be a, a non-factor of a game oh there's no doubt and you know obviously i'm glad that i was q and o and it kind of rallied because i'd struggled picking games especially against the spread picking games earlier in the playoffs so i liked how the championship weekend went but you know, if you pick the 49ers or you're working rooting for the 49ers, uh, you know, how can you even take that game? Like, not seriously, but you have to throw it out because your quarterback gets hurt right away. Your backup quarterback gets hurt. Um, uh, he, you know, there's the game could have gone so many different ways. Not that Philly wouldn't have necessarily won, right? Because I think Philly is a really good team. Uh, but you just never know. In you know, losing your quarterback who happened to be your third string quarterback at the beginning of the year anyway, um, it just put the 49ers in a in an unwinnable situation. Yeah. It, I mean, it just – it was tough to watch, and you, you never felt like they had a chance. They couldn't even pass towards the end of the game. Uh, Chiefs-Bengals, a lot of, lot of people uh, – or Bengals fans at least, uh, you know, blaming the referees there. Um, but that – that certainly was uh, a way more of an exciting game to watch, and obviously that's building into a nice little rivalry there. Oh, there's no doubt about that. You know, I mean, Burrow and Mahomes, um, they're going to be really fun to watch as we go forward. They've been fun the last two years. Um, I'm glad you brought up officiating, Shud, and I know it wasn't perfect, and, and I get it. I get the frustration from some fans, but I've re- and I used to be a guy that would – be overly critical of officials, whether I was playing in a game, you know, whether it's Rex Oppel or whatever, or watching a game or being in a game. Um, I used to be all over the officials. And I've come to a point where now I despise the constant discussion about officials. It ha- Bad calls happen. Yes, you're trying to get rid of as many as possible. I think the NFL does a good job overall getting as rid of as many bad calls as possible with the challenge system and with, you know, New York in the referee's ear. I get that they missed some. I get that they might have missed some against Cincinnati, although I think a lot of the calls people pointed at, I agreed with the calls. I thought the rough, the late hit out of bounds was the right call. I did not think totally. Was, I did not think it was a block in the back on the punt return that set up the last drive. Um, I understand why they killed the clock on that one play and made them redo third down. I mean, I've been in press boxes. You can see the back judge running in. And when he's running in, the play has to stop. Whether or not they ran the play or not, it has to stop. So the mechanics might have been off, but that was the right call. So I'm not saying every call is right. Obviously, they're not all right. I also think that if you watched all 22 players every snap, you'd go, there's a million things that could be called. Um, Anyway, so that's my rant is I'm sick of the constant nitpicking of every call and how bad the officiating is. I think it's just part of the game. And yes, we need to try to get rid of as many bad calls as possible, but I don't think talking about it incessantly and tweeting about it um, is doing anybody any good. And I think it actually hurts the enjoyment of watching the game. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, obviously Cincinnati could have won that game and it was very tight, but I just – Man, I, I just didn't think that they could go in there again and win. You know, it's so hard when they beat them three times in a row. I mean, imagine right. winning four in a row against a great team like Kansas City. And I just felt like Mahomes, 
uh, you know, really has been had a chip on his shoulder all year after the way it ended last year. So I'm not surprised to see them back in the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, to, again, not surprised Kansas City is representing the AFC and not totally surprised at Philadelphia either. I mean, I, 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 you know, here's the thing, though. If you pick the – and neither of us did at the beginning. It's it's tough to pick both number one seeds because, it you know, you just don't think that – you figure one of them will maybe go down. But that's what you got. You got your, your number one seeds are right there. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, and that's how I felt. Like, you feel there's going to be an upset. You feel like it's hard to pick chalk. Um, I, I do think – I don't think there's any debate about this. The Chiefs' road to the Super Bowl was harder than the Eagles, right? Not only did the Eagles play a Giants team that I thought um, overachieved <laughs> this year, um, you know, and then they drill them in the second round of the playoffs. Then you get the 49ers team that loses its quarterback early, right? So I'm not saying the Eagles would have lost, but their road has been easy where the Chiefs had – you know, the Mahomes injury, they had a relatively tight game against Jacksonville, right? And then they play their, you know, nemesis, Cincinnati. So I think it's interesting as we talk about the Super Bowl matchup is, you know, has Philly been tested enough? Have, you know, it looks like they've dominated and they have, but I think their opponents have been weaker given the circumstances. So I, I to me, that's one of the reasons – and we're going to get to our picks, but that's something you have to weigh, right? Is okay. Philly hasn't had a close game in the playoffs. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts. We haven't had to see him make plays in the fourth quarter to win games. While you know Mahomes can do it, you've seen the Chiefs be battle tested as recently as their last game, right? So I think that's an interesting element heading into this matchup. All right, prediction time. You ready? I am. You want to go first or second? Um, I'll go second. You ready? All right. Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl, and I, I just feel like they're the best team in the NFL right now. I just think Kansas City is going to win. I, I think, uh, you know, I think Phil, well, Philadelphia's favored. I think a point and a half, and. I, I I just I'm I'm gonna go with a lot of what you just said there. I mean, I, as as great as Philadelphia has looked, they have they've looked that they've looked that way as you had mentioned against teams that aren't so amazing with the injuries in San Francisco, the Giants, and I had mentioned that last time. So while I do think Philadelphia has been impressive, and and Jalen Hurts, listen, I he's he's been phenomenal, and there is no doubt they're one of the best teams in the NFL and deserve to be there. So this has nothing to do with the Eagles as much as I just think it's it's Kelsey, it's Mahomes, it's Reed. I just think it's Kansas City's year. So I'm going to go with a weird score. I, I don't know why. I just I'm going to go 29-27 Chiefs. Mm. Wow, that's interesting, Chud. Um, I, I like all those reasons. Um, I have a really hard time picking against Patrick Mahomes, but I'm going to pick against him. And wow, yeah, and I, I don't know if I would have done this before the playoffs started. And just real quick, you know, my kind of keys are how healthy is Mahomes, right? I mean, you don't heal from a high ankle right away. And I, it he played well against the Bengals, but it limited it, 
right? To some degree. Well, he was healthy. He was healthy enough to beat one of the hottest teams, if not he, the hottest team in the he NFL. Was, right, but he, but he wasn't himself, right? I mean, you know, they didn't score a ton of points. He can't. He didn't. He didn't have the same scrambling ability. Yes, he had the big one late. Um, but you saw him pull up on that one. You know, he rolled to his left, and he was in obvious pain. Um, so I think he's not a hundred percent. He's still great. Not a hundred percent. I think that could be a factor. Can the old line of Kansas City block the Eagles? The Eagles have a big time front four. They have like 70 yeah. sacks in the regular season, um, and it's continued in the playoffs. Yes, True. And the Chiefs line has been better, and the Chiefs line played well against Cincinnati. But it's still a question mark, especially when Mahomes' mobility, I would expect, to be limited. Um, can Kansas City's young corners hold up, right, against Hurts at quarterback, but then you got Brown and Smith at receiver for the Eagles. Um, and then do they have an answer for – the Eagles run game that has so much reliance on Hurts, right? It's got Hurts. It's got the three-headed monster. Um, we saw that they just kind of chipped away and wore away at that Niners defense. Um, you know, yes, Kansas City's defense is better, but is it good enough to stop what feels like a unique offense with the Eagles? Now, if Kansas City gets up, that helps. If they get a lead and you make Hurts throw the ball more, um, that could change how the game goes. Um, you know, and then for the Eagles, I, I just think the Eagles are more talented across the roster. And this is a bigger picture discussion for down the road. But, you know, a lot of that it's because the Eagles have Jalen Hurts on a rookie quarterback and the Chiefs are playing or paying Patrick Mahomes a ton of money, right? And that does affect roster construction. So I, I think the Eagles are just more talented from position to position, not a quarterback, but position to position. I love their offensive line. I love their defensive line. Um, so, you know, I, I a lot for me comes down to is Jalen Hurts going to play well enough? Is he going to make enough big-time throws? Because I don't think you win the Super Bowl without your quarterback doing it. But he's played at a great level all year, and I would expect him to continue to, to, continue to do that. So I don't feel great picking against Mahomes like I started this, but I'm going to go Eagles 27-24. All right, well, all right, so we 27-24 Eagles. I have 29-27 Chiefs. So the bottom line is we are in disagreement, which means you're either going to beat me by two in the playoff run or we are going to end up tied. Yeah, we don't have the tiebreaker. So we got to do a race or play golf or something. <laughs> well, I'm not going to do golf because I know you'll, <laughs> you'll you'll beat me there. Uh, that That's for sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it's good, though. I like that we have differing opinions here. And, I, I I like your your best argument is the the Eagles deal line and, yeah. and they do that even by just rushing four not even blitzing all the time um, so you know they got there's no question you make an excellent point there and Jalen Hurts has has been awesome um, but uh, I don't know I just there's just something about that Mahomes Kelsey mystique and and I just think and granted I right, listen if Mahomes does have issues with his ankle and he is not a hundred percent, you know, then next time we talk, I might say, Hey, listen, all right. If you had a healthy Mahomes, maybe right. it would have been a different outcome, but let's see. I mean, if, if he is a hundred percent, I would like to see, you know, obviously the best version of himself as far as a fan and wanting to watch the game. Right. Isn't that what we all want? I mean, we oh. want to see the best that we we can out there. Oh, so. there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And I, I think he's going to be good, and I think he's going to be close. But, 
you know, if you expect the game to come down to two or three points, is there a play that he doesn't make, right, that could have turned the game? Um, I just think that's possible. Yeah. You know? And, hey, when you, right. last, last thing for you. When you were picking the score, you went a little higher than I did. I, I was really struggling with that. Like, I thought about going yeah. in the 30s, and I wanted to keep it in the 20s. Yep. And, and, and I don't have a great reason for that, except sometimes – Teams get off to slow starts in the Super Bowl, right? It takes a while to heat up. Um, what, what do you think? Are you thinking this game could be really like a high-scoring game? Yeah, I just think that um, – I mean, it's so hard to stop that Chiefs offense, right? I mean, uh, they got 23 points there against Cincinnati, and I'm only looking for them to get six more, right? Um, I just think that uh, the Eagles – it seems like – they're pretty balanced with their attack. I mean, when they're running the ball, man, they are dangerous. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, – I don't think the Chiefs' defense is dominating. I think they can be scored on. So I, I just think um, – I don't know. I just think it will be one of those games where, um, you know, you're just going to have some exciting plays, maybe, uh, you know, a defensive touchdown that might yeah. help get that score up there. Um, you know, the I look at the over-under. I think it's like 51-and-a-half or 50, somewhere in that range. Yeah. So I, I I typically like decide with Vegas, you know, if that was in the, you know, more in the 40s, like 41, 42, I'd probably think differently. But um, I, I think that's one thing that's probably points me in that direction. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I'm going over uh, probably because my instinct tells me, oh, 50, 51, I'm taking the under. So yeah. I'm going contrarian, right? Like thinking in my mind, well, you would definitely be under that. So now I'm going to go over. So that's kind of where I came to that score. No, I get that. And I do think it's, it shapes up for a chance to be really exciting. Um, I don't, I don't know if I think that the, I, I wonder if I think the chiefs have an advantage if it gets to be a high scoring game. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess that would my, that would, my thought would be that, that if the chiefs, if the Chiefs can score enough against the Eagles, right, figure out a way to score against that pass rush, um, then they got a better chance, right? If it if it stays lower, um, then it probably suits Philly better. They run it more. They control the clock. They get pressure on it. Um, but yeah, I, I I just think that's interesting because I was going back and forth on that too. So well, and here's another thing to think about too, and and that's the simple case of you know Hertz has never been to the Super Bowl and Mahomes has, right? I mean we're. Yeah. I, there, there's a major difference there. Listen, we're, we're human beings, right? I mean, we, we've talked about this many times, the pressure, uh, how to prepare. Like, the Chiefs know how to handle this week. More, I mean, all right, listen, the Eagles, you know, they, they won it, what, 2000? Was it 17, 18? Yeah, was five it the, years ago. Yeah, it's yeah five years. season, yeah. You know, but different coaching staff, right? I mean, Mostly it, different it, players. <laughs> yeah, mostly different players, too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so – I, I, the Chiefs are closer to their Super Bowl, and they, they, I think they know how to handle this week a little bit more going in. I think prep is important. Um, you know, you've we've heard stories before about how players have, you know, interesting stories from the night before a Super Bowl, and well, you know how they how players handle the week, you know, with personal life and uh, practicing yeah. and the, the big stage. And you know, I think there's something to be said about that. You know, Kansas City has a little more experience. Mahomes has. You know, so maybe I'm yeah. going to draw on that a little bit as well. So I'm, I'm just, I'm looking for any X factors that might point me in the direction of Kansas City. I tell you what, those are great points, Judd. They really are. Um, 
you know, you could probably throw the coaching matchup in there. I mean, Sirianni's been great, but Andy Reid's done this. Andy Reid's one of the best ever. Um, I, I like I like the points you're making. And, you know, so many times I pick based on quarterback, and I would have to pick Mahomes, right, if you just picked on basing it on quarterback. Um, but I'm not because I'm looking at the entirety of the roster, and, and I may regret that. Um, Mahomes well, might, be enough but... to, might be enough. But it's not like you have a, uh, you know, a, a backup quarterback or like a quarterback sure. that somehow the team has gotten there despite him. I mean, the quarterback you're going with has been incredible this year, and they're there because of him. Right, but he's young and he's never been there, right? So, yeah, I mean. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, no, precisely. And I think that's a huge edge to Mahomes, no sure. question. I mean, you know, the pressure that could be felt in this game and, uh, and the prep that leads up to it. Uh, certainly. Um, and Sirianni, uh, uh, didn't he, wasn't he, did I catch this right? He was on Kansas City staff, right? And Reed let him go? Yeah, that, that right? was weird. Yeah, that's right. I, I read something about that today. Yeah. Um, when Reed took over, he didn't retain him. Yeah, so there's a little mm -hmm. bit of a, of a whatever, bone to pick there, a little revenge factor. Not that, yeah. I'm not sure I have that, well, you know, I'm not sure that shows up Sunday night, but um, I know Sirianni's thinking about it. Yeah. Well, I feel bad in my analysis of the AFC and MC Champions game. I don't feel like I brought it strong, but I think it's also because it was a while ago, and also I'm trying to get over it. So the, uh, <laughs> the, the that terrible 49ers game, really. Right. But uh, we do our uh, we do our helmets. I've talked about this before. We do our helmets. You know, in my family, I've got two daughters and my wife, and we we pick helmets randomly out of a hat. So I got eliminated from that as well. So. Uh. My what my wife has the Chiefs and my daughter Brooklyn has uh, the Eagles and she's never won it before. Of the four of us, everyone's won except for Brooklyn, and I think we've been doing this since like 2014. So she's hoping that she can finally uh, win this because uh, you know she's the only one who hasn't. So the pressure's on. All right. Well, there's another reason for to root for the Eagles. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. Cool. I got to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when you get up and. Two o'clock in the morning. Hey, Chud, thanks for the time, buddy. Right. Um, I appreciate it. So we got um big night tonight with Joe Thomas and the big night yeah. Sunday night. So thanks, everybody, yep. for listening. Um, you can find all my work at brownzone.com. And we'll talk to you soon.